Hello, welcome to Off Curve, I'm Wicked Good, and I am talking to you about Hearthstone as I am uh, driving on errands. It is Sunday, September 12th, 2021. Um, happy to report since the last episode, I did get myself to Legend with, despite my, uh, my, my 10x multiplier. Which, it, the, the grind is, the grind was real this month, because you really, you, and, and I'm sure a lot of you are, are feeling the same way, like, you, you feel the polarization a lot when you're down to, you know, your single star multiplier, whatever it is, right? Because you, you just have some matchups that you're unlikely to win, and, and you can improve those matchups with experience, but it doesn't make them feel better, you know? Like, like, I mean, I guess if you, if you win one of those, you kind of feel like you can run through a wall. And, and, and I had a couple of those, but it, you know, for the most part, it just feels like, you know, you're going to spend 15 minutes, you know, playing through this game that, you know, you're unlikely to win. And, and you're, then you're going to have to win two more in order to get that back. But, um, and, and again, just kind of focusing on the improvement and not the goal is something that helps with that because then you don't notice the stars as much if you're just focusing on improving and then you're actually more likely like I spoke about last week talking about the rock paper scissors meta like you're more likely to um to stick with the deck through um through some of those bad matchups and then learn them better um but you do feel it a lot more given, you know, given how polarizing this meta, this meta is, and, and we're supposed to get balance changes, hopefully in the next few days, um, and I'll have another episode discussing those when we get them, but, because it sounds like it's going to be like a larger balance patch ahead of the mini set, which is, is kind of the cadence now, but, um, but I did get myself to legend with, with Quest Shaman, despite all that polarization, and, you feel it with Quest Shaman a lot. I'm actually working on a guide for it. I'm just trying to get enough footage from my stream to um, to have some example games. And I, I kind of got frustrated on stream Thursday night because I was just getting hard countered by a lot of stuff. And even like even some of the de I, I probably wasn't playing very well because I was very tired. Um, so that probably wasn't helping a lot. But you know that that deck is. It's extremely good against most of the meta and terrible into Mage and Warlock. And obviously Warlock is kind of a big feature of the meta right now. And then a lot of people were playing Mage to counter both Shaman and Warlock. So you'd end up in a lot of these matchups that were, were just felt unwinnable. And, you know, I mean, I go into them trying to figure out a way to win. Like there, I know that there are some people who will just concede the bad matchups if they're going to take a while. Like, that was kind of like the strat against Priest for a while for a lot of people. Just concede and play the other games because that's just going to take 20 minutes so you're going to lose anyway. Um, and, and against Warlock, it's not quite as long, but it still feels bad. But I, I kind of felt like I needed to play it out just to try to force myself to try to learn those matchups better, which is what I recommend. Like, if you're just focused on the ranks, right, like, you can get there, but you, you're just going to hit a string of those bad matchups at some point. And being able to at least, like, convert a couple of them will help your win rate in the long run rather than just, like, conceding and, and taking the L on those across the board. Um, but, so anyway, so I did I did finally get there. And my, my final boss, I, it must have been, like, someone who was down at, like, the bottom of Legend because they were playing a Rat King 
Hunter, which is a deck that I've never seen anyone other, other than Sidisi play. And it was not actually Sidisi. And, but it was, it, it was just like the poor person because I, they played uh, Rodent Nest, which is the two, um, two whatever that summons five one ones. And I just perpetual flamed it to clear the first part of my quest. And then they played the one sick. I, I, and I'm sorry, I don't remember any of the names of these cards because I've like only seen them in this one game. Um, and then there, they played the, the one six with Frenzy summoned four one ones that I just ran a canal slogger into. And then they played the Rat King and I hexed it with a generated hex off of, off of Guidance. And that was the end of the game. That was the easiest game of my entire climb. <laughs> like, most of the games were not like that. Um, but I, I just kind of ruined that whole person's career in that game. But that was that was kind of like how the deck's supposed to go. Um, I, I did like the challenge of it. Um, I would not... I mean, again, I'm putting the guide up. And, and mostly because I think that... Um, whatever balance changes are coming, I would expect that Quest Shaman is going to be a fairly significant feature of the meta. It may get a card or two nerfed, just if they're trying to hit like a whole range of things. But I would expect that Quest Shaman is still going to be a prominent feature of the meta. And if Warlock takes a big step back, then Mage loses one of its big one of the decks that it's really trying to counter. So it'll probably step back in prevalence. And then Quest Shaman's kind of just got smooth sailing. So, um, you know, watch my Twitter for when that is live. It'll probably be in another couple days. I want to get another stream in to try to get some more some more footage of some of the some of the matchups and how to approach them. Um, but yeah, so but I, what I do want to talk about on this episode is kind of related to that because it, it's a topic that I, I somehow have not hit recently. I, I mean, I don't think I've ever hit it and. I was going through the starter pack, which you can find at um, offcurve.com slash starter pack, by the way, if you're if you're newer to the podcast and you want to look up there, I, I put a lot of the the evergreen show topics um, on that page just so you can kind of if there's a if there's a topic that you want to see that um, usually it doesn't change. Some of the references would change, but the 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 advice is still generally solid. So you can go and look through that if you want to kind of skip all the episodes where I'm talking about nerfs and or about um or, or card reviews or whatever, and just kind of get to like the, the, how to get better at the game episodes. Um, but I don't think I've talked about turn planning and, and kind of macro level planning. I know I've done an episode on, um, on turn sequencing, like in game to in turn sequencing, but I don't think I've ever done an episode on macro game planning. And, and that's something that if you're trying to improve is something that, um, is really important. Like I, I remember when I was first doing co-ops with Peltire couple of years ago when I was feeling stuck, that was one thing that he pointed out as a deficiency in my game. And I've been to legend a bunch of times, right? Um, but it was something that I, I, it was a deficiency in my game that I had to work on in terms of, of putting together a plan both for, you know, the, the immediate turn and also like a long-term goal planning. So let, let's talk about turn planning and macro, macro game planning. And maybe that's something that can kind of help if you're stuck in a rut a little bit might help you overcome some of the polar polarity and um, and improve your overall gameplay. So the, the the first thing that's important, right, is that you you understand what your win condition is, right? There's like a, a bunch of different levels of of multi-turn planning, and one of them is just kind of the overall game plan, 
And that's understanding what your wind condition is. And, and that sounds kind of obvious, but it's not always, right? Because your, your wind condition, depending on the matchup, can change. And so understanding like what, how you're going to win the game should affect how you're approaching individual turns because all of your turns should kind of be looking to advance that, right? So let's say that you have like, like you have a matchup where like, let's, let's say quest shaman because the quest shaman is going to kind of what, what kind of got me to thinking about this a lot more, more because of the overload, but this is also kind of understanding what your win condition is, right? Um, because like if you're in against an aggro deck, perpetual flame is basically your win con. Like, yeah, you're going, you, your win con is still, you know, choking them out with value, controlling the board, whatever. But your immediate win con most of the time is just get perpetual flame. So what that means from the mulligan, right, is we're going to hard mulligan for perpetual flame. We're going to throw everything away that's not the quest and we're going to look for that. And if we don't find it, then what we're going to do is, you know, adjust our, our turn plan such that we're drawing or generating as many spells as we possibly can, because we're going to look for it, right? So we're going to, we're going to trade overdraft, um, you know, aggressively. We're going to maybe not play an overload card on turn two, like hold on to the guidance so that we can marsh spawn on three and try to generate a perpetual flame, right? So like, it, this is one of the big things that kind of takes players from, um, you know, from, from one level to another is playing the game, playing for the game versus playing for turns. Like you could, you, it's very easy in Quest Shaman in particular to optimize individual turns and then screw yourself in the long run. So, you know, it's very easy to make the best play you can looking at the current board state, but understanding like, how does that play feature into how you're ultimately going to win the game is something that you should start thinking about if you're, again, if you're struggling or if this is something that you don't naturally do, um, to kind of think about how the, how the, the choices that you're making right now are going to get you to a place where you're winning the game. Okay, so we've we've identified the win condition, right? And now we're into the game. And and this is one of the the one of the biggest reasons to kind of slow down, right? When you're playing, which is this from for me is kind of hilarious given how fast I play usually, but. Um, one of the things that you should be thinking about before, like once you've identified your first, your, you know, your good play on a turn is kind of not just your win condition. You should always be thinking about that. And like, how do I win from here? But also like, what's my next sub goal? So like, we've got a, you know, a theme of, of quest lines in, you know, in the, um, the expansion that kind of makes this obvious, but you know, even without like quest stage completions, right? Like there should always be kind of a goal that you're working toward, right? Like typically this involves a card that you know you want to play on curve, right? Like if you're playing face hunter and you want to get a Warsong Wrangler down on four so you can get a trampling rhino down on five, 
right? Like that would be, that would be an example of kind of a sub goal, right? Like that's how you're going to win. So if you're going to do that, then you need to, you know, these are the conditions that I need to have, or even not necessarily that, like, again, we're going to talk about overloading in a minute. Um, and, and that's really where it comes into play, but like, even like smaller things, like I've got all these cards that I want to play, right? And I know that I'm playing this card that's going to take up all my mana next turn. So I either play this card now, or I'm playing it two turns from now at the earliest, right? And that, that kind of helps you organize the cards that you want to get down, right? Because like, you'll, and it's, it's kind of hard for me off the top of my head to come up with a, a concrete example of this, but this happens a lot, right? Where you've got like three or four things that you want to do, and some of them are more time critical than others, and you're, you've got a you've got a scenario where you might you might hero power or you might play something else that's a little bit more expensive but maybe not as high priority. And like, if you look at what your next couple turns are doing, right, that kind of helps you understand: Can I do this next turn or the turn after, or do I need to do it now? if I want to get that in. So like on a burn game plan, right? Like typically what you're doing is you're trying to get all of your burn spells out, you know, efficiently. You want to use all your mana to do it, right? So you might have to have a situation where you might not necessarily like have lethal. Like the the, 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 the thing you learn early, right? Is don't start throwing your spells at face until you have, like, a lethal setup. You may not even have lethal. It might be, like, a two- or three-turn lethal setup, right? But it may make sense for you to spend that mana now because you may not have that mana available, you know, come the next turn, right? Or, like, if, you, if you've if you killed off a cult neophyte against a shadow priest and you've seen them play a raised dead, and they haven't played all the minions out, you may need to play some stuff now in response to what your opponent's going to do because you may not have the mana that you think you have next turn, right? So, so like, understanding, like, what you want to do on your next turn and then also what's your opponent likely to do. That's kind of the other big part of this. So there's, you know, some cards may get better or worse to stave off um, a card that your opponent's going to going to play, or at least that you need to play it at a certain point before your opponent does something, right? So, like, the, the best example of this from prior metas would be, like, in Control Priest versus Control Warlock, where you'd be trying to snipe a Ticketus with an Elusive, right? So, if you know that, when you're on the nine-mana turn, if you've not seen anything that would have corrupted Ticketus by then. Because if you corrupt Ticketus, if, if Ticketus is corrupted, it still just burns from your deck, right? Um, but generally what would happen is if you hadn't seen anything that would have corrupted Ticketus and you're on nine mana, it doesn't really matter whatever, whatever else you needed to do. You need to play a Lucian now because if you can pull the Ticketus out of their hand and burn cards out of their deck, that's just game flipping, right? So then knowing that, would would let you work backwards from there. Okay, well, I want to be able to do that on nine mana, so what do I need to do ahead of time 
because I'm not going to be able to do it on that turn because that turn is reserved for that particular action. Right? So like, and it's, it's, it's a very general thing, right? It's, it's hard to come up with a, with a, a hard and fast set of rules for it because it really does depend on the deck. It depends on the game state. It depends on the cards that are in your hand. But so this is not something where I can tell you that you need to do this if I'm not if I'm doing that outside the context of a specific deck guide, right? But if you're doing that, you know, if you're starting to do that and think about what do I want to do on the next turn? What do I want to do on the turn after? Are there any like must must happen turns? And then kind of work backwards from there and then start coming up with a plan of what needs to happen. You know, ideally, obviously things change, but have a plan for how things happen ahead of that in order to, um, you know, in order to help make your decisions more efficient. All right. So through the magic of podcasting, it's tomorrow now. Um, full disclosure, I tried to, when I, when I was listening back to the episode, it turned out that the mic had shifted somewhere between where you finished listening and where I started talking again. Um, and it sounded horrible. So it's tomorrow and I'm doing a blister guy style walk around my neighborhood to finish up the episode. So welcome to, uh, welcome to my neighborhood in Massachusetts, I guess. <laughs> but so really where this comes into really focus is Inquest Shaman, which is probably one of the most resource management intensive decks that I can remember in a really long time. Like we've always had Quest Shaman, but like, oh, I'm not prepared for like how much uphill this is and how much I'm going to be out of breath. So I apologize if I'm gasping at the end of this. Um, but like we've always had Control Shaman. You've always had to manage overload, but it usually like ended up cutting a lot of the overload cards when you can help it and like limiting it to the ones that were actually like just like objectively broken and now you can't really do that with quest shaman because like that's the whole point of the quest so there's a lot involved in kind of figuring out like how you're going to get all of your overload cards played and it, and it changes from like stage to stage as far as like what you're trying to do right because like stage one completion you're trying to effectively like get all your overload cards in all at once so that you can clear as much as many overload overloaded crystals as you can <clears throat> so like you generally want to work like a lightning bloom in there or like a perpetual flame that's going to kill off a big board or something like that or at least get like three cheap overloads all in the same turn so that you're unlocking all of that and then you can continue going on your game plan the next turn which means sometimes you have to do some weird things you know to make sure that you have enough mana for that turn like there was a game i saw in grandmasters where um bunny hopper actually he waited until turn two to play the quest just so he could get his marsh spawn to go off on turn three and then he would be able to go progress the quest after that. Because he knew that he had a marsh spawn that needed 
because that's the other thing that's going on in this deck too is that you also have more spawns which need spells to be played the prior turn so you have to account for that in, in your turn planning as well <clears throat> so he waited until turn two to play the quest because he wasn't doing anything on two other than the hero powering anyway and then play the marsh spawn on three and then went to go complete the quest on four or five or the the first stage of the quest rather so it really takes a lot of understanding like what your sub goals are they're a lot clearer in that deck but it also punishes you a lot harder for not taking them into account right like if you spend a turn like locking all your crystals before stage one completion and you're taking a turn off early and then you're unlocking like one crystal you've wasted a lot of that value right sometimes it's on it's it's unavoidable but that's part of the the skill involved with the turn planning um the other place that comes really into into factor is when you're finishing the quest because there's a bunch of things that you need to think about when you're playing these overload cards out right one of which may be that you don't want to leave Rukon sitting in your hand if you're brought up against a priest or a demon hunter because they can just Elusia you or um, or glide it back into your deck. So you may have to think about, like, how do I space this out so that I can leave an overload card for that turn so that I can immediately play Rukon after it. The other main thing with the Rukon turn is that, yeah, he's a 5-mana 7-7. Seven, seven. But if that's all you're doing on your turn, generally that's not that's not enough. Like, if you just play a five mana seven seven that doesn't affect the board by itself, you're generally gonna get run over by a lot of decks. So you're looking for a way to drop Brukan along with something behind it. That may be lightning bloom into some spells because the lightning bloom gets you four mana crystals after Brukan's down. It may be Brukan with charge call it might just be guidance just to get some more value in your hand and then figure it out from there. But generally, you want to have some mana left over on top of Rukan, which means that if you just spam all your overload cards to finish the quest, you may not have enough mana to play Rukan in the first place, let alone be able to play Rukan with follow-up behind it. So there's a lot of figuring out, like, in those turns leading up to that. Okay, when am I going to finish Stage 2? When will that give me the extra protection of the 3-3 three, three to be able to get the through further? When do I need that? When do I... Um, how many cards do I play on the turn leading up to Brukhan? Do I want to save one and save one of my unlocked mana crystals to be able to play the overload card with Brukhan, ahead of Brukhan to be able to trigger it? Do I need to do that? Right? And then what am I going to do after I play Brukhan? Do I want to take a turn off from that? To let all my um, all my mana crystals unlock before I before I play him, to give myself the most value out of that turn, and then maybe do something that's a little bit more impactful in the meantime. So a lot of that has to do with you know understanding the game state and understanding what your goals are and understanding like you know how you want to get to that Procon turn and ultimately even the turn after, because you need to have mana available to be able to do something to follow up too. Like you don't want to be spending all of your, all your, all your mana crystals on that one turn, be overloaded to hell, and then not be able to do anything after, right? So a lot of the, the success with the deck is being able to chart a course through all those turns.
and make sure that you still have you know mana available and that's the thing that's where a lot of the losing with that deck starts because like you you play against that deck and and it seems like it's unbeatable once it finishes the quest but you know it does run out of steam and, and sometimes it's also just like what what cards do you save for post quest like that's also a consideration right do i guidance here because it's one one tick off the quest or do i hold it for a turn, you know, until after Brukhan, because that's four spells off of Brukhan, or up to four spells off of Brukhan. <clears throat> and that can give me a lot of gas for the late game. Right, so like, understanding like which cards you play when really goes into your plan of like, what are you going to need to close out the game? So I think if you're struggling with that deck, I would, I would take this idea of, um, of game planning really into a lot of consideration and multi-turn planning for that matter. And, um, and, and just kind of plot out your turns with those sub goals in mind and kind of work backwards, right? Like, okay, well, this is my big overload turn. So I don't want to play any overload cards now because I want, or maybe I want to play one overload card because it's okay to overload over the two turns and unlock them all. And then if I do that, then I get one mana back and, and you know, there's all those considerations as well. So, you know, don't play you can't play for the for the turn for the single turn as much as quest shaman sometimes you have to if you've got a big board and you just have to perpetual flame like you don't have a choice right like that happens but for the most part you need to be thinking more in three turn increments really in order to be able to play most effectively and and just playing for the individual board will will lose you a lot of the games so, I mean, if you've been struggling in general, you're kind of fit, like you feel like you hit a wall. And I feel like this is the way that I, tell, I tend to play when I'm either tired or tilted, is that I'll just play for the board that's in front of me and not really think about, you know, my overall game plan because I'm also generally playing quickly. So this is something you can use to um, slow yourself down, write yourself, and then make sure you're making the most efficient decisions, you know, for the whole game and not just win the turn. All right, so um, so that's going to do it for this episode. Um, thanks as always for listening. I know you have a lot of options of when you can, of what you can spend your podcast listening time, and I appreciate you spending it with me. You can find um, the show notes for the show and every show at offcurve.com. You can um, find me on Twitter at Wicked Good. You can find the show's announcements for new episodes at Offcurve. Um, also, if you do Master Store qualifiers, you can see those at uh, the data for those at offcurve.com slash masters tour. Um, I stream Monday and Thursday nights at um, 7 or 7.30 Eastern on Monday and Thursday evenings. And um, you can join the Discord at discord.offcurve.com with a lot of kind and knowledgeable and friendly people. So thanks as always for listening and uh, be good to each other. We'll talk soon. Have a good one.